If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode 39 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk with one of our favorite people to talk to, Dory Clark, who is a best-selling leadership author, a branding expert, and really just an all-around great person. But before we do that, we want to be sure to highlight our annual Leading Learning Symposium. And this is an event designed specifically for senior leaders at organizations in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development. The symposium will take place this year on October 24th and 25th in Baltimore, and we already have a, a really great group of people coming together for it. To find out more about what the symposium is about and to see the great things that last year's attendees had to say about it, visit the event website at symposium.leadinglearning.com. We'd also like to thank Web Courseworks, makers of the Course Stage Learning Management System, for being the sponsor for this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. And you can find out more about Web Courseworks at webcourseworks.com. So now, Salisa, you were the one who drew the lucky straw and uh, got the opportunity to talk with Dory Clark. How did that go? It went great. Dory is a lot of fun to talk to, very knowledgeable. We, uh, dug into things like personal branding. Um, we dug into things like uh, thought leadership. Uh, and she talks a little bit about kind of why it's a, a term that she doesn't think um, should go away. I know that we're all a little tired of hearing that term sometimes. Um, we talk about what I think is a really refreshing view too on just her overall picture of, of branding and marketing, which is that it's really not about um, self-promotion or certainly not self-promotion just uh, as an end uh, in and of itself, but really this idea that we all have um, some value um, that we would like to contribute to our organizations or to the world at large. And so when you really think about branding and marketing from that standpoint, this idea of what is the value that you bring to it, it can really be a, a freeing way to approach that. We also um, talk a little bit about the fact that she's going to be uh, keynoting at the upcoming Leading Learning Symposium, and so we talked about how people can get the most out of hearing her live for those of you who will be there, and even for those of you who won't, uh, she makes uh, she points out a number of references and resources that she has available on her website, uh, doryclark.com. So it was a great conversation. I think folks will enjoy it. Well, I always enjoy listening to what uh, Dory has to say, and, and more importantly, I always learn a lot from what uh, Dory has to say. I'm really looking forward to hearing her speak at the symposium. Um, you know, there are obviously good reasons that uh, we asked her to come and do that. We feel that uh, what she has to say is very relevant to people who want to lead learning within their fields and industries. So, this interview uh, is going to give a, a little bit of a glimpse of what you'll get from hearing Dory at the symposium, and of course, is going to be extremely valuable in its own right. So let's get on to the interview. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dory Clark. Dory is a branding expert and the author of two books, Reinventing You, Define Your Brand, Imagine Your Future, and Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Dory consults around marketing strategy. She's a professional speaker, and she frequently contributes to such top-notch publications as Harvard Business Review and Entrepreneur. Dory, thanks for making time for this conversation. Thanks, Elisa. Great to be speaking with you. 
And so, Dory, as you know, this podcast is for folks working in the business of lifelong learning, professional development, and continuing education. And the majority of our listeners are affiliated with a, a trade or professional association. And you know, while I hate to say it, I feel like my colleagues and associations are kind of the Rodney Dangerfields of their organizations. You know, they don't get no respect. Um, and it seems to me that branding is kind of a pathway to respect. You know, a way to convey the value of what learning professionals are doing for their organizations and for their learners. So can you talk a little bit about what branding means to you and how you see savvy individuals using personal branding? Absolutely. I, I think that personal branding sometimes has connotations uh, among some people where where they some folks don't even like the term because they think that it means a kind of phoniness or fakery, that it's about somehow selling yourself in a way that's not genuine. But I actually think of it as being very much the opposite. Um, what I'm interested in doing and helping others do is uncovering the true talents and the true value that they bring to their company, their industry, their organization, and making sure that other people recognize it. Because otherwise, you're not able to make a full contribution. You're not really able to have the impact that you want to have and that you deserve to have if other people just aren't getting it. And so for me, the, the, the issue that I want to help people solve is how can we best convey what you can bring to the table so that you're, you're really able to do that and to excel. That's great. And, you know, I think um, one of the things that I really uh, found interesting in your books is the way that you sort of, you know, talk about that emphasis on, on the value and that, that, that branding is not a, a selfish exercise, that it really is about what you can bring to the table, what you can do. And, and I think we'll probably dig into that a little bit more. But, you know, one of the things we at Tagoras talk um, to organizations about is the need to brand their education business as distinct from their organization's overarching brand. And we, you know, we certainly see that the two should be consistent, um, but we also feel like the members and other customers need to have a clear sense of the organization's learning offerings, of, of its learning as a brand. And so I was just interested to get your thoughts on kind of what do you see as the connection between or the interplay of personal branding and organizational branding and, and departmental branding, such as branding for an education business? Yeah, so... It, when it comes to individual branding as compared to company branding, um, the way that I like to think of it is actually if, if you can uh, rewind back to junior high math and if you remember the Venn diagram, which is these two overlapping circles, um, I, I think that that's a useful way to think about it because if, if the two circles were on top of each other, if your brand was literally the exact same thing as your organization's brand, that's, that's not – usually healthy uh, because it, it creates a, a culture where everyone needs to, uh, to think in lockstep where um, you're, you're essentially uh, considered interchangeable with other people in the organization and the organization itself. Um, however, at the other extreme, if you were looking at two completely separate circles, that doesn't make a lot of sense either. People would say, well, you know, why, why are you working for that organization? You don't have anything in common with them. Um, they, they wouldn't get it. And it, it certainly wouldn't be clear what value you bring because it's so distinct. Ideally, the way that you want to think of it is that at, at your core, you should have 
things about your brand that that overlap with your organization that are values based that that you uh, that you care about the same things you stand fundamentally for the same things and certainly a commitment to lifelong learning and advancing uh, the profession would be a key piece of it but in order to make yourself valuable, you also need to bring something distinctive, something unique to the table that other people don't. And I think this this really gets at that question. It's inside your organization, inside your association, what is it that you do better than anyone else? What is it that um, that you're able to really contribute? And you know, if you're uh, if you're working in the marketing department, it might be that you're really amazing at social media. If you are working in uh, in the legal department, maybe you're uh, you know the one lawyer that's that's really great with people skills and explaining things to to lay people. Whatever it is, I mean, when we're talking about creating your distinctive brand inside the organization, it doesn't mean that you have to become a world expert at something. I mean, certainly if you want to, that's amazing. But really, um, you know, we're, we're just looking at the scope of inside your organization. What do people think of you as, as being? Um, what is it that, that you do um, better than anyone else around you? If you can answer that question, that begins to really get at the heart of what makes you valuable in that context. Well, I think also that idea of focusing on kind of what makes you different and what value can you bring, uh, that also, to me, feeds into an idea or, or really kind of what standout is about, I mean, where you're talking about what it means to become a recognized thought leader and and one of the things that I thought was interesting there that you sort of say up front in that book is that there was there's been some pushback around that concept of thought leadership. So I was hoping maybe you could just tell us a little bit um, about um, well, first of all, how you define thought leadership, and also a little bit about you know why leaders thought leadership sort of got a bit of a, a bad rap. Yeah, I actually did a, a whole podcast interview uh, a while back for the Harvard Business Review about this uh, because it, it is sort of a loaded topic. I, I like to joke that I've basically made my uh, career by trying to resuscitate all of these words that people think are sleazy, like <laughs> personal branding and thought leadership and networking, <laughs> because I think they're great. I think they're great things, and I don't think that they have to be sleazy. And so specifically for thought leadership, the reason that I, I so I mean the bad rap comes from the fact that um, there, there's certainly plenty of people in the marketplace that like to do chest thumping and say oh I'm a thought leader in XYZ and you know I mean it's just obnoxious when people call themselves that uh, it, it's, uh, it, it, it gets a little gross you know I mean it's it's sort of Applying the uh, the expert or the thought leader uh, label uh, willy nilly becomes uh, certainly an exercise in grandiosity at times. So I think the distinction, though, and the reason that I actually think we should not throw out the baby with the bathwater and and that we should keep the term thought leader is that I think that if you actually parse the term, there's something really interesting and valid about it. First of all, it needs to be a term that is conveyed by other people. I don't think people should really call themselves thought leaders, but aspiring to be thought of as a thought leader by other people, that's, you know, that's kind of a worthy goal, right? And so if you, if you look at the term, 
thought leader, um, the first part, thought, implies something very clear, which is that you are known for your ideas. For for any professional, this is actually a great thing. If you are publicly recognized as having good ideas, that's uh, that's something very significant um, about uh, what draws people to you. The second part, thought leader, um, is, is important because that implies definitionally that you have to have followers, which means you're not just some random person spouting from the ivory tower. What you're saying has to be relevant. It has to be interesting enough to other people that they say, oh, wow, this is really something that I can get behind. And so if you make yourself become, if you work hard enough to become the kind of person that is generating ideas that galvanize other people, you are really having an impact in your company, in your field. And that's something that I think that that almost any of us would really want to have as uh, a contribution we make in our professional lives. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think it's great just to write, look at what the term says, thought leader. And you're right if, you know, those those are both things to, to aspire to. Um, and, and so in Standout, you also talk about the importance of, of being able to see differently. And um, you kind of make the case that most of us probably think too narrowly when it comes to our, um, our, our professional lives. And then we also tend to probably discount the value of our personal experiences, which you argue broaden our perspective and give us a, a unique point of view. And then I know in Reinventing You, you, you quote um, hospitality entrepreneur Chip Conley as saying, you know, the more we create a divide between the public image and the private reality, the more we create dysfunction. So I'm curious to see, you know, do you think personal and, and work life will become less compartmentalized in the future? And if so, what do you see as the implications for, for lifelong learning? Well, I, I think that certainly that has been the trend. I mean, at a, at a very basic level, um, if we look at what technology has enabled, um, there's always pros and cons. But you know, the 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 pro is that we have much more flexibility now. So, you know, so many more people are telecommuting. They're working from home. They're, um, they're you know depending on how nice the company is, they're uh, much more able to, uh, you know, take off early to go to a, a kid's baseball game or go to a doctor's appointment or whatever. The trade-off, of course, is that um, because of technology, we're available all the time. And so we might not be working at three o'clock on a Monday, but we might well be working at three o'clock on a Saturday. Right. And so, uh, so that, that, implies an almost necessary blurring between our personal and professional identities. Social media does it too, of course. Um, you know, there's there's kind of an evolving etiquette, which hasn't really uh, finalized itself about, you know, well, what do you do about your coworkers? Um, should, you, should you accept their friend requests on Facebook or should you just limit them to seeing your LinkedIn? Um, people are handling this in different ways. I think, however, I, and of course, you know, that causes... Uh, some tensions, some people are more or less comfortable with that. But overall, I would very much tend to come down on the side with Chip Conley, which is that I think that if we handle it right, the blurring of personal and professional identities actually can be a really good thing. Um, if, if you're trying to, to maintain, you know, work Dory and then uh, and then personal Dory, uh, it, it becomes quite stressful. Um, now, the implication for, for lifelong learning and where this comes in is that we are not 
the same people that we were when we first started in our jobs. Almost, you know, no matter how long you've been at your job, whether it's a year, uh, certainly if you've been at the same organization, you know, for, for you know, a decade or, or whatever. Um, and what I came to realize during the course of researching Reinventing You and Stand Out is that oftentimes um, what happens because of um, people's natural inclinations. I mean, this is uh, this is shown again and again in brain science studies. Um, people like to conserve mental energy, and so they form an opinion of you. And unless something fairly dramatic happens, they are going to keep that same uh, impression of you. And so, consequently, the longer you've known someone, um, sometimes the, the the more out of date their perceptions are about you. And this becomes a little bit challenging because you have been growing, you've been changing, you've been learning, um, especially for, for your listeners. They're the type of people that have been taking continuing ed classes and, and you know sitting in on MOOCs and reading books and going to conferences and picking up new skills. They are better and better than when they started. And yet other people are probably still thinking of you as, oh, that cute little intern. Or, <laughs> right. When you first started, um, so we need as part as you know part of the imperative of being aware of our personal brands and and you know m- making sure that we are taking control of our reputation in the workforce is making sure that we we are able in a you know a, a firm but polite way to shake people out of the ossified perceptions that they have of us and make sure they really get it that we have been learning and growing because we don't want them to be thinking of us for the assignments or the promotions or or projects that were good for us five years ago. We want them to be thinking of us for the things that we want and that we're capable of today. And so we need to, to manage that. And I think that Coming back to the idea about um, you know pers- blurring uh, personal and work identities, sometimes the, the more we are able to share with other people about our learning journey, the better equipped they will be to understand our narrative arc of our career and the trajectory of where we're going. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, I really think that, that that idea of, right, sharing the story and that if, if you're kind of cutting people off from half of your story, you know, if your personal half, then that, that can be, yeah, it's limiting in that way. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense to me. I, I hope that the we'll see the continued blur and that uh, of personal and professional and that we'll all get better at managing that blur, as you said. <laughs> so, yes. Um, so at Tagoras, we're, you know, we're big on the power of reflection and questioning because both are so important to learning. And I know in Stand Out, you talk uh, about the importance of cultivating a questioning mindset. And you even have these ask yourself questions throughout the book to promote reflection. Um, but I know that many people, myself absolutely included in that many people, uh, many people don't have the time to evaluate, kind of step back and evaluate what we're doing because it just doesn't seem to be enough time. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what tips you can offer for how to fit that type of reflection and questioning into our lives. Well, one of the frameworks that I like to 
use to think about this comes from a guy named Stu Friedman, who is a professor at the Wharton School and a specialist in uh, work-life balance, or he prefers the terminology, I think, work-life integration. A thought Um, leader, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And so he he likes to to talk about what he calls a four-way win. And, uh, you know, basically he, as as many have done, uh, divides life into four quadrants. And that would be um, your uh, your family, your work, your f- sort of friends and community, and then your health, which he defines both emotionally and physically and spiritually. And uh, the point that he makes, which I think is really valid, is that if we are trying to address all of those things um, individually uh, and simultaneously, we're you know we're going to be we're going to be in trouble because we don't have time to, to carve out, oh, well, I need three hours a day for my family and eight hours a day for work and then two hours a day for for working out and, and then spiritual activities. I mean, you run out of time pretty right. fast if you're doing it. And so he is a, a fan of, uh, of the four-way win, which uh, it's, it's very rare. You can get all the way to four ways, but essentially it's the idea of trying – as, as well as possible to kill multiple birds with one stone. And so if you're trying to make time to work out, for instance, that's, that's hard to carve out if you're doing it yourself. But if you say, oh, you know, I really want to have social time with my friends, um, instead of, you know, going out for a beer with your friends and then going to the gym – Instead, maybe you should invite your friends to the gym and you can work out together and spend time that way. And just trying to think about how do you combine those activities so you can get the the, the maximum bang for your buck. And I, I think that for me, when I uh, when I think about how do you get time for reflection for the kind of white space that you need for innovation – um, the way that I do it personally, and you know, I think it varies by uh, individual what their methodology is. But uh, I, I live in New York. I'm huge on taking walks and walking places. Um, so if if I have enough time. Um, I will very rarely uh, take public transportation or take cabs or anything. I will almost always try to walk someplace, and uh, and I build that time in going to appointments and coming from appointments as time to uh, listen to podcasts or audiobooks or you know just sort of think through problems. And you know, for, for me, that that would be you know it's going to be transit time one way or another. Uh, but uh, it's a way that I am specifically kind of carving out uh, sort of edges. Uh, on either side of, of meetings so that I can think through what I want to accomplish in them and what has happened after them uh, and, and hopefully really be able to, um, to assimilate that information and be able to make better connections. Well, that's great. And yeah, I think that looking for those, the, the, the multiple wins or yeah, how to fit things in and kind of what we're already doing. You already have to be walking between or you already have to be getting to and from those appointments. And so what can you do with that time? Is That's that's great. Um, it, and I, we touched on this a little bit, but I know that both of your books really talk about making an impact. And, and you know, the, so the way I'm reading you, you know, I, I think you really believe that branding and, and standing out are about making the world a better place. And I know you kind of use the Steve Jobs phrase of putting a dent in the universe. And so would, would you just talk a little bit more about how that kind of value perspective, you know, that belief that we're making an impact can, can shape branding and, and standing out? Yeah, I, I think that fundamentally, uh, you know, 
we have to ask ourselves why, why why we're bothering to do what we do. And it, it would be horribly sad for me if uh, if you know a majority of your listeners said, "Oh, you know, I I just you know, punch the clock. I just am doing this uh, to earn money for my family." I mean, that's that's certainly a worthy thing to do, but. Because work in so many ways today is the locus of meaning, I would like to enable more people to find meaning in what they're doing. And I I think that that is a worthy thing to strive for. I mean, my uh, educational background actually is – but, you know, I never actually studied business. I was a philosophy major as an undergrad, and then I went to uh, graduate school and got a master's degree in theology. And part of what is appealing to me about the work that I do now, in which I find a great deal of meaning, is that I think that um, for for so many of us, you know, in the modern world, um, work work is where that meaning is derived. Work can be a calling if if it is. Uh, the right work, if it's chosen well, if uh, if we're able to uh, to be smart and be strategic about what we're good at and what we like and where we can really make an honest contribution, and so um, helping people tap into that and really be able to to feel on a daily basis that they are doing the thing that they are meant to do, that they are um, making the contribution that they were put here to make, uh, I think is uh, is quite powerful. But that doesn't count for anything if we are stymied in making that contribution. Um, so I, I want to help uh, break down those barriers so that people can actually get going on doing, uh, doing what they want to do and, uh, and helping other people. I think that's a, a, a wonderful uh, interpretation in terms of you know marketing and branding that it's about finding, uh, finding meaning, which is great. I mean, it, it does, like as you were talking earlier about any level of sort of sleaziness that we might associate with with marketing or branding, you know, when you put it in that context, no, it's absolutely fundamental. Um, and so, you're going to be keynoting at the Leading Learning Symposium in October, and really excited to to have you there. And I'm just thinking that we'll, we'll have some of our listeners who will be there uh, at the symposium. And so I'm wondering what recommendations you might have for them uh, who will have the chance to hear you in person. How can they get the most out of you? What do the best audiences tend to do when they're interacting with you when you're, when you're there and, and speaking? Ah, well, I'm, I'm certainly always uh, really excited to, uh, to meet people either before or afterwards, um, to, uh, to engage on Twitter. I'm at Dory Clark, uh, which is D O R I E C L A R K. And, uh, and something that might be of interest for, uh, for both listeners who are going to be attending the conference and, uh, perhaps those who aren't is that if you want to start in advance thinking about how to apply some of these ideas to yourself, to, um, to really think about developing the ideas that you'll be known for and how to uh, begin to get recognized for them, I actually have a, a free giveaway on my website. Uh, it's a 42-page self-assessment that I developed based on my book, Stand Out, and folks can download that right off my website at doryclark.com. Great. Now, um, this is a question that we ask everyone here on the Leading Learning Podcast. So, 
how do you approach and, and develop your own talent? You know, how do you undertake your own lifelong learning? I am a fairly obsessive reader. That's the that's the first part. Um, reading is the way that I both warm myself up for the day and also the, the way that I unwind at night. So I, I probably um, read at least two hours a day. Um, I... It seems so depressing to me. I know everybody has their own their own way of doing things, but for me, it seems super depressing to just wake up and immediately start working. Mm. I, I feel like, oh, is this what life is? You know, just bread and water. <laughs> just wake <laughs> up and work. It seems so horrible. And so uh, I always uh, start the day by reading the newspaper. Mm. which has been a, uh, a lifelong uh, love. I, I actually started my career as a newspaper reporter. And so I uh, retain a great fondness for being aware of what is happening in the world and uh, in the trends surrounding that. And um, I also have, uh, have become a very big fan and a big consumer of podcasts mm. and listen uh regularly uh, often i'll be listening while i take walks or exercise and so i would say i listen probably to at least 10 or 15 hours of podcasts per week as well wow great well yeah we're we're big fans of podcasts that's what uh, spurred jeff and i to start uh, the leading learning podcast and, and i'm also an avid reader as well i'm in danger of being a uh, uh, cr- crushed by the stack of books on my bedside table. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, as we're wrapping up here, you know, we want to make sure that, that learners know how to find out more about you. I know that you mentioned your Twitter handle, so we'll make sure to get that in the show notes. You also mentioned your, your website um, where they can get the self-assessment workbook. So we'll make sure to also put the, a link to that in the show notes. Um, any other place that you would like to point folks or does that sort of cover it in terms of ways to connect with you and find out more? Those are the best ones, but I'll also mention that in addition to the uh, the free 42-page um, self-assessment workbook that people can download at doryclark.com, on my website, I also have um, all, literally just all the articles that I have uh, written over the past number of years for places like Forbes and Harvard Business Review and Entrepreneur. So there's more than 400 free articles available on my website. So if people want to dive into the oeuvre and, uh, and, and do some uh, some lifelong learning by, uh, by reading everything I've written, they can feel free to uh, immerse themselves for a bit in that uh, also on doryclark.com. Well, and I'll say that I'm sure any time that folks would give to it, we'll, they'll find uh, rewarding because uh, I've certainly en- enjoyed your work and uh, I highly recommend it. And Dory, thank you very much for taking time for talking with me today. So Lisa, thanks so much. So that wraps up our interview with Dory Clark. As we're exiting, we'll mention once again our fall event, the Leading Learning Symposium, where Dory is going to be speaking. And you can get information about that by going to symposium.leadinglearning.com. We'll also say thanks again to WebCourseWorks for sponsoring this podcast episode. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 39. And while you're there, you'll see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you aren't yet subscribed and if you're getting value out of the podcast, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We would also be really grateful if you take a moment to give us a rating on iTunes. Ratings matter a lot over there. It helps people to find us. Um, so if you have been listening and you like what you're hearing, doesn't take long just to get over there, uh, put a few stars up, hopefully five, write a few uh, glowing words about us. And all you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com iTunes to make that happen. 
We also hope you will tell others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. And if tweeting isn't your thing, then you can pick your social network of preference and spread the word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.